What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back. Welcome to the High Flyers podcast, where we do reimagine a high flyer, showcase relatable role models and their journey in work and life, including their sunrise, magic moments, hustle, and much, much more to help you achieve your potential, become your best self, and continue to be 1% better every single day. I'm your host, Vidit Tagawal, and let's get started. Today, in this episode 96, I'm speaking with Dalton Henshaw. Learn about his sunrise in Melbourne and having to grow up quickly as his parents separated when he was six. His dad ran a fashion retail business and mum was chief family officer before moving into medical admin. Dalton shares his dream at 18 was to play a professional AFL, which eventually turned into creating a prominent men's lifestyle publication called The Tailored Man, working with brands such as Tag Heuer, Hugo Boss, and Mercedes-Benz. I asked Dalton about the three successful people that he's met that inspire him, how he prepares for client meetings, how he manages a team of 40, especially people older than him, and 1% habits him and his wife Laura have added in the last two years. Stay tuned to learn about Dalton's favorite fashion and running brands and lots more. It's now time to explore your curiosity. Please enjoy. Dalton Henshaw, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's um, I feel really grateful to be asked on and uh, really excited for our conversation today. I'm pumped to have you on. I'm so inspired by everything you do. So let's start with some fun facts to set the scene. What was your first job and what do you do now? My first job, um, my first job was actually working for my father on his shop floors. <laughs> mm. I think uh, I was probably six years of age. My first job was pretty much folding clothes and unpacking boxes for my dad's um, retail and, and fashion business. So um, that is, is where I was. That was a key part of my journey. Um, and I learned a hell of a lot of him. And where I am now, um, I am the, the CEO of Bullfrog, which is a full service creative agency working with some incredible partners and brands across the country and overseas. And where were you born and where do you live now? So I grew up um, in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Uh, I come from a, a separated family uh, from the age of six, funny enough. Um, and both both parents, my mum and my dad, um, weren't too far away from each other um, in the east suburbs of Melbourne, which was a very nice um, and convenient thing too. Um, and for me, now I am still in Melbourne. Um, haven't ventured out, but also you know uh, I do love what Melbourne brings and everything that comes with it. But now I live in Bayside, Melbourne. Dalton, the purpose of this show is to reimagine a high flyer. I wonder, is there a high flyer in your life who you feel hasn't got the recognition they deserve? This is a really interesting one because I was listening to some of your past episodes and there's so many incredible answers. And and I think um, there's so, like, we're so lucky these days with the power of the internet, social media. Um, we can pull inspiration from so many people, podcasts, um, and for me, it's probably not any one person that I pull certain parts of inspiration or really look up to. But if it was to be one, it would probably be um, my grandma. 
and my grandma for the reason that um, she raised me um, quite a lot in my early years of life. Um, it's been a huge bedrock for her family, um, raising four brothers, one of those my, my father. Um, um, without her partner and my dad's dad who passed away um, a lot younger due to uh, prostate cancer. And she's been an incredible bedrock for the family. Unfortunately, um, she now doesn't remember who I am, um, but we still have this pretty special bond and, and a fond memory of everything that she's added to my life. But yeah, her resilience and her strength and the backbone that she brought to her family <laughs> and also looking after four boys and, and raising them too um, is nothing short of incredible. So I draw a lot of inspiration and thanks to her too. You've already started on your sunrise, but if we zoom out and go back to your early days, I think particularly the influence of your environment and, and family, like you mentioned, growing up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, what are your memories of the environment and particularly family? Like you said, at six, your parents separated. Did that have an influence on how you taught and how you understood life at that age? I think um, as I reflect on that journey as much as, you know, that journey for my, my mother and my father is a deeply personal one between them that I'll never fully understand. But how that relates to me, um, I truly look back at the learnings of, you know, coming out of that environment and the environment that I around being very grateful that I had um, the full attention from two parents when I was with them um, with undivided love and care. Um, you know, and I think for me, that's critical, but also what came with that. Um, and I think what has shaped me to be the person I am today is I somewhat had to grow up pretty quickly. I had a younger sister um, who was just as reliant on me, um, helping her out through her years as much as, um, you know, being the oldest in the family as well and playing that role. Sometimes that comes with that and growing up and, and going through some new learnings for your parents and challenging them as much as um, trying to pave the way upon reflection for my sister and, 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 and all the above. But um, I truly look back at that time and while there was some you know, challenging moments, um, I was still surrounded with so much love and care and opportunity. Um, but I think it, I wouldn't be the person I am today without that being a part of my story. Mm. Um, and it's, it's one thing that I think um, I am not the only person that has, is in this scenario and I'm still very lucky that I have two parents that equally um, love and care for me now. But um, through that journey, it presents different challenges um, and different, at, you know, certain stages over my early um, childhood and, and late teens. Um, it definitely presented some um, challenges for me personally, but ultimately it's everything that I'm so grateful for now um, is a testament to the journey to this point now. So I'm still lucky. You mentioned your dad ran his own fashion business. I understand it was since he was 22, so he ran it for quite a while. What did your mum do? Are you comfortable sharing that? Yeah, of course. Um, my mum has been in medical admin and, and reception for most of her um, career. Um, she was a stay-at-home mum for most of our early childhood from the separation to also probably around 13, 14 years old where I could probably stay home and look after my sister as much mm. as anything. Um, and, you know, for her, that was a really big thing. One of the things that came up quite a lot in all my conversations as part of my homework leading up to this is people said you're very self-aware. 
you know where you stand, you listen really well, you challenge in the right way, all, all the good things and, and I think that's evident in the person you are and the way you're just talking now as well. What were you like growing up? Like how would your high school teachers describe you? I think we were all not who we are now and with age you mature. Uh-huh. You're, you're obviously very into sport. Was that something that was a cornerstone even when you were younger? Like, yeah, what was the Dalton of high school years? I think the Dalton of high school years is probably a person that, um, isn't how I present today, to be completely honest. Um, I think sometimes in life we put walls up or put on personas that might not necessarily be us in certain environments um, because we think we need to fit in or we think we need to conform to a certain stereotype um, of a person. I think I naturally did that as being um, sport was a huge part of my life. Um, AFL football was the dream at one point. Um, and one that I chased for quite some time. And, you know, I think with that um, came a certain way to act and behave based off the environment that I was in. But um, as I've continued to grow older um, and, you know, gone through my own learnings, um, now I'm unapologetically myself um, to the core and I have all those best attributes of my environment growing up. But um, I've definitely learned uh, from my own self journey and reflection and growth that um, it's okay to put yourself out there and be who you are. Um, and you have to be fine comfort in that. And so that to go back to your question, I probably wasn't the person that I would have liked to have been, but also that's also part of life and growing up too. And, and that's where it's really nice to be able to reflect on that, but also take the learnings from that too. A lot of those traits sound exactly like like who I was growing up. So I think, I think we've, we've both gone through that experience. And I think for me, it was failure and, and having some really challenging work experiences that made me reflect and learn. And we'll get to that shortly as we talk about your career. If you think back to when you were 18, what was success at that age? Like what was the kind of North Star that would have fulfilled you in life? <laughs> My North Star at that point would have been um, running out for the Hawthorne Football Club and winning a grand final mm. um, and playing AFL football. Um, I think I was always through part of that um, comment I made before about um, appreciating the opportunity that I was lucky enough to go to a good school. I always sort of had a bit of a game plan. And, and at that point, um, for me, it was, hey, I can be the athlete and I can be the sports doctor too. That's very much where I wanted to go down and um, being sports such a key part of my DNA. Um, so I put the work in and, and, and ultimately at school and on the track um, and, you know, had somewhat some success in, in trying to get there. I didn't ultimately reach the dream um, that I would have loved. But I think at age of 18, that was there were those two, two rocks that I was chasing after and trying to have the best of both worlds, which later in life um, has changed, you know, compared to what I'm doing now um, as much as that journey I pursued for quite some time of trying to um, be an AFL star Um, (laughs) and that is a lot harder than it uh, sometimes seems. Yeah again another one that resonates with me I wanted to play tennis for the for the longest time I can remember but I never had the discipline I probably didn't have the talent either but never had the discipline but that was my that's my first memory of growing up is playing tennis from the youngest age Um, and then you mentioned 18 AFL footy maybe you didn't eventuate as you wanted. And then you started your own business when you were 19. Now that's quite a brave step. Some people might go, oh, why didn't you work out, blame the world, maybe continue playing great footy and just try and make a life out of it. I guess maybe your dad's influence played there as well because he ran his own business and you probably learned quite a lot there. 
How did you start your business at 19 and why, why fashion? So it was a really interesting spot. I think um, I started at the time, um, what was it? It was end of 2011, early 2012. Um, Instagram, I think it just launched in October, 2011. Mm. Um, and the word blog was more common than your Facebook and Instagram that we know it today. And um, I think for me, it was very much like an outlet. So I started um, what was always a digital publication and platform with multiple social channels uh, called The Tailored Man, which ended up being one of the most prominent men's lifestyle um, publications in the country, um, competing against the likes of um, your GQs of the world and your men's health as far as inspiration for men, um, which was very much rooted in fashion, which I'd been surrounded in somewhat my whole life through my father's journey. So it felt like a really, uh, let's say, outlet um, and a hobby, um, which at that time where people were still working out what some of these new platforms and opportunities were, um, I was very lucky that I probably started a lot earlier in that space and, and, and started to put those, you know, views and opinions out and, you know, things that I'd almost taken for granted from my childhood, from my father's business and his journey um, from a retail manufacturing perspective from the fashion industry. Um, I was giving this advice and, and, and putting that out there and equally then people were taking it up and um, yeah, overnight started to gain traction incredibly quick and has afforded me incredible opportunities to now um, and ultimately played a really big role in starting a business from what literally started as a hobby and things that I've been grateful to learn um, and putting that into what became my core business for quite some time, um, along with playing um, professional football. Um, so it was a, an outlet as much as I was still chasing my my first dream. Um, but it sort of came to a point that I sort of had to chase that dream eventually and tie one down. And the, that's definitely a key part of the journey too. One of the things that I admire a lot about you, I think, is breaking into new industries as an outsider. Like, I think breaking into the fashion industry. Yes, your dad was there, but it sounds like your dad was there on one side of fashion was you went more on the media and, and publication side of fashion. And then now, obviously, more recently, which we'll get to with Bullfrog Creative. And that was something that came up in my research as well, is that people said that that's one thing that they respect you a lot for is as an outsider breaking in and, and the industries you've been in can be very click, clicky and nepotistic was the word that was given to me. What do you think you were able to do if we, if we start with Tailored Man in particular, because you've got the benefit of hindsight now, that helped you break in and build it up? Because I, you mentioned brands like GQ or I know you worked with the likes of Tag Heuer and a number of others. These are large brands that have ambassadors and have successful people behind it. How did you get them to partner with you? Like Obviously, you found some secret source that others didn't have that you captured. Like so many incredible businesses now that have started up with a, a strong vision of what they want to put into market or a purpose of why they're doing it, I think Tailored Man for me was a, it was always about um, giving really relatable advice to empower men to make decisions in a space that you know sometimes we are creatures of habit at the best of times when it comes to fashion and lifestyle and restaurants and dining and all those sort of things, but. I always wanted to come back from a really real and relatable perspective, not on the nose or not um, trying to be something that wasn't just everyday advice, two guys 
that could help potentially plan a weekend away or pick their next outfit or help them with their wedding suit or you know literally give a review on a car they might buy no matter how high or low that may be um really encompassing that men's lifestyle spectrum which there just was not many players in the space and not in the constructs of um, capitalizing on these new found influential platforms um, that allowed us to reach global audiences but also really talk to audiences in a powerful way and i think being sort of first in the space gives you a lot of um, and has given me a lot of credibility to to the point of where i've got to now in my career but um you know being first in that space and and also then working with brands in partnership to how to harness the power of this newfound um, voice and audience on these platforms and channels um, gave me somewhat um, a voice in in the industry um, alongside you know typical titles that I've spoken about just before it gave a different lens of hey this is real relatable advice but these channels are coming through in different ways whether it was content or campaigns being collaborated with some of the biggest brands in the world I was so lucky um, as much as timing, but through a lot of hard work, is just putting real relatable advice out there. And there's no real secret source along with, you know, opportunity and timing is it can play a lot of part in success as well. And if I was to start that now, it probably wouldn't work because the space is so saturated. And um, the channels in the worlds that we're in now, as far as all the new channels that have come into our lives from an advertising and also sharing perspective, it's a whole different ball game. Um, but I'm very grateful that that journey and that story for me has ultimately led me to where I am today and the credibility that came with um, pretty much consulting and working with brands directly, not only as being an advertiser at the, the end of the brief, so to speak, as I call it, um, but also then starting to be at the start of it and how I was then consulting to brands nationally and, and household names that I would be able to help with their digital strategies from a creative perspective as much as how to talk to these new social channels and platforms through their own lens. And that naturally segued into the world that I am in now. And and I think it's it's such a key part of my journey, but also allowed me the opportunity to build my own networks across the world. You used the word credibility there quite a few times, and, and that was actually one of the threads I want to go down is sort of how do you measure success in that field? And, and I'm a novice i'm looking at that field as a kind of consumer you could say so i don't exactly know what happens but you've obviously spent over a decade in that field what, what is success in that field like that if you look at your journey and reflection like what have been kind of some of the biggest learnings that have helped you succeed and, and maybe that fits in with is there one that stands out we talk a lot about painful learnings on the show um, if we just talk from a work perspective, is there one learning? Maybe you've only had success. Maybe there's been no painful learnings and that's great. But if, if there is one knock that you learned the most from, what what was it and, and, and what did you learn? I think, you know, the thread if I look at the journey that's been consistent of what the tailored man was sort of doing as much as now as a, um, you know, a, a full service creative and advertising agency, I... I think the power of storytelling to the right audience is the thread that connects, you know, and I think that to me is as much as what I believe in and as much as what I love, what the tailored man presented as much as what I do now is that I get to take just a short second, 30 seconds, a TV ad, a little piece of content. I get to take someone's attention just for those moments. So I don't want it to take it for granted. 
So that storytelling piece for me is the thing that has been a thread through the last 10 years of my life. Um, but, you know, that coupled with um, that passion that comes with that has ultimately led me to making tough decisions of winding something down that afforded me incredible opportunities that was successful and then chasing a passion um, like Bullfrog and, and giving my all to that space, um, which still has that thread running through it in so many ways. But it was that passion piece for me that led to that critical decision though of winding something down that some people would say, why would you do that? Like you were, like, you were, you were killing it, you were in the space, you were vault, like you're doing all those things. But um, for me, it really does come back to passion and having the belief in being able to wake up each day and be like, well, this is, this is what I want to do. And I feel very lucky um, through my journey and through being self-employed now for the better part of 10 years, um, I've been able to chase my passions and ultimately through the credibility that's grown through some of those pieces of work and those businesses um, has allowed me in a really fortunate position now to be doing what I do, but still bring it back to the fact that um, I'm still storytelling. I've just got now an incredible team of people around me that help me do that. Mm. I mean, I, I do the same thing on a smaller scale. I don't have 40 people in my team, but on a smaller scale, I do the same thing. Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe another question, Dalton, on that, and then we'll come back to kind of your journey broadly is, can you take us inside an example of how you measure success with brand X when you were tailored man? Like when you're working in a partnership, what are some of the, like, do you have an agreement? What are some of the kind of criteria you measure it on? Like, how do you go, because I'm assuming you have a, partnership like say with tag Hoy, might be for x amount of period and then you renew it or you review it take us inside one of those review meetings like without giving names and and metrics what what are some of the kind of things that go on and how do you measure that success because i think there might be listeners who are building their own brand or work for companies that back to what he said storytelling every company now is doing storytelling but yeah. often you don't know how to measure it because it i'm assuming goes beyond likes on a social media post or people at an event yeah what, what are some of those measurements that you've learned over the last 10 years that are critical that separate the the best i think it comes back to the partnership originally being authentic and genuine and finding just an authentic angle of why it works together i think we live in a world now that there is so much out there so many brands so much advertising sponsored all the above um but what is actually getting that cut through? And that's something at Bullfrog we pride ourselves on is what's on the door is we want to build an unfair share of attention for our partners. And I think that attention piece, I mentioned it before, is so critical because we shouldn't just be putting communications out in the world that isn't making impact or isn't doing something. And I think that's also something I take really personally, but it flows through the whole team now as much as the success of that. We've got metrics that will show it's successful, but time and time again, the most successful campaigns that we have done have been able to talk to an audience that creates a true partnership at its core in a relatable way. And now we have so many different channels, outputs, opportunities, touch points that we can talk to so many specific audiences. Like that wasn't a thing back in the day when I first started. But knowing you're, knowing who you're talking to and then how you want to talk to them um, I think it can't just come across as like I was saying before, oh, that's sponsored, they're just getting paid to do that. Mm. There has to be something stronger there. And through the Tailored Man, I was able to create incredible partnerships globally that, as I mentioned before, some of those brands 
there was a genuine interest. You know, Hugo Boss, I'd come from a fashion background. I'd come and grown up and understand that space incredibly well from the construction of a suit jacket to the fabric and compositions that are made up of it. I knew that they were one of the best brands in the world because I had also been lucky enough to be on the factory floors and see where they're made as much as anything. And, and I think to me, the quality and credibility of those brands using that again, I'll stop using it. <laughs> I think it really does come back to a lot of the decisions I've made on who we partner with, because it needs to be something I believe in. And that even goes now on the other flip side of the brands and the clients that we work for day today and the partners that we work with, we have to believe it that we can create an unfair share of attention for those partners. And I think, um, that's really a testament to everything that I've done over the last 10 years is making sure I believe in what I can do for that partner. And that started with the tailored man and truly showed me the value of a, a strong partnership. Um, but still making sure those success metrics, there is so many, but I think it, the best, the best have been making sure that there's an authenticity to every one of those partnerships that is relatable. And they even see it now in the podcast world and, and so many different touch points, you know, Brands are partnering with people, creators, influencers, celebrities, businesses, so much. Collaboration is a word that gets used all the time. And I think when you find that authentic link in a partnership, that can really unlock incredible opportunity. Absolutely. And there's, I mean, there's so many things we can talk on that, but I do want to bring the conversation back to you and, and your journey. Um, I, I think on those brands you've mentioned and just your growth journey maybe one of the underrated parts is the people you've met along the way like some really successful people some really public figures some people maybe that you've been surprised by perhaps are there two or three people and, and you don't have to name their them but maybe their personalities that have inspired you through this journey maybe it's a brand campaign and you only met them once maybe you've gotten to know them over time what about their personalities have inspired you? And I think the pretext for this question is you yourself are building your own brand and people want to connect with you and, and we'll get to your wife, Laura, shortly as well. But tell me about the people you've met along the past decade. Are there two or three people or their personalities that you've been like, wow, this is what success looks like. They do it the right way. You know, coming back to that point of success, I think that's such a, um, a personal view on what success is. Uh, and, and I think that's something I've learned over time as much as I, I, I fundamentally believe um, success is very much in the eye of the beholder and what you value. Um, but I think if I was to talk of, I won't talk about my wife because she's obviously, uh, we'll probably talk about her soon. But um, if there was probably two people um, that I would talk about is um, the, the first would be through work, but has prospered into an incredible um, friendship mentorship, relationship. Um, we bounce off each other um, in so many different ways with the uh, incredible individual um, called Ben Cooper. And Ben is, it's hard to describe our relationship because even between time, COVID, all the above, we just pick up where we leave off. And I first worked with him um, on a partnership with uh, Targ Hoyer uh, through the Tailored Man back in the day and an incredible partnership that he's still now still affiliated with the brand and they engage him. Um, mm. And for me, that talks to that other point of authenticity in the partnership and someone who believes in something. But for him, um, the role that he plays in my life now is his view and perspective on life's things um, 
is so calming, but also different and different because I really think what I draw from him is life can be really chaotic and life can throw a lot of unexpected turns at you, life and work. And if there's anyone that can understand chaos better than, uh, <laughs> than most, in their day-to-day, there would be someone like Ben Cooper, who is the executive head chef of Chin Chin and Chin Chin Restaurant, Sydney and Melbourne now, pretty much transformed the hospitality industry in Australia mm. and is still now lines out the door, busy after, I'll probably get this wrong, but 12 to 13 years of business. Mm. And that's an incredible testament of not just Ben and the broader business that sits around that, but um, if you talk about what I pull from him is the calm amongst the chaos is one of those things that we talk about a lot. And that is so much in mindset as much as it is perspective on the things that he holds true to himself. And I won't share some of those, those things that we truly connect on because that is very much between us and our relationship, but it really comes back to being values, values based first and foremost, and what he cherishes the most and what I would happily say is family. And that's one of our key things in life and definitely one of mine that um, is the bedrock of regardless of my journey to date and some of the family becomings of where I came from and, and coming from that dynamic, but is something that is my Achilles heel as much as it is my backbone. And it is everything that I, it's it's my why, it's my purpose is, is, is creating an opportunity for my future family and my family right now um, to support them in life and the things that life throws at it. And Ben gives me an incredible perspective on those things. Yeah, you, you were kind enough to connect me with Ben as part of the homework for this, and we had a lengthy conversation. It was meant to be 30 minutes, but it ended up being an hour because he is a deep I, thinker. I am not surprised. Not <laughs> and then he was just, he, he asked me actually, he said, what are some books that I should read? He wanted to know from me. And I said, Ben, why are you asking me this question? He said, no, just tell me what books should I read? So we just went down and did a really nice rabbit hole. But anyways, bringing it back to you, it's about you, not me. He, he mentioned some things and he gave me some questions that he's curious to ask you. And I think it fits with some of the themes you just mentioned there. He has new questions to ask me. Oh, that's, that doesn't sound like him. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that he said that maybe he finds challenging as he's got more prominence, but he's kind of behind the scenes in a way, was you're more public um, with, with people know your name and you're prominent on social media and things. He said is, how do you know when to dig further and not waste your time, whether it's with people or topics or clients? Maybe an example is say you meet someone at an event, like I'm sure people would want your time or want to have a catch up with you or you go, you might meet someone and you go, wow, that person is really inspiring. I want to catch up with them. Or maybe it's the opposite. You go, no, I don't, I don't quite engage that person. And I know you've talked about credibility and, and authenticity and those values, but are there two or three things that, you dig for when you're piquing your curiosity, whether it's with new clients or in your personal life? It is a very good question. Um, probably the old me would have said a different answer and the old me that I've touched on in, during this episode, um, in this conversation. But for me now, um, time is so valuable. It's part of what I do as a, a service-based business. Time is the one thing mm. that we you know, hold really sacred. But I think you should go into every conversation with the best intentions, not make assumptions, even based on perception, what they show, what they do on social media. I think I give and connect one-on-one -on -one with my team as much as partners, clients, 
I will give my all to that conversation because I want to be 100% present in that moment, regardless of anyone else, because I think we should always give people the benefit of the doubt, always, regardless of things we may hear. Because I think the interaction, even the one that we're having right now, being fully present in that moment and investing in that moment can really unlock special opportunities, relationships, growth and learnings. And I think if I was really instead of, you know, saying, hey, I'm going to shut this down because I just don't know where this could go or, hey, I'm not going to talk to this person because I've heard these things, I think make your mind up, make your own mind up. Don't go into a conversation with other things clouded that you can't take firsthand from a person because you never know what could blossom into a relationship. And I've had many of those over my life. But it's also one of those things that I think um, now, as much as my team, day to day, I want to know what makes them tick. No conversation is too hard or, nah, that's not relevant or that's not going to help me. I think if you're going into a conversation looking for something out of it before you've even had the conversation, I think that's just the wrong way to approach it. I think the world, we all make decisions, we all uh, choose doors to walk through or take opportunities when they pop up. That's a really different thing, but I think if we're doing it for the right intentions, but we're also not having expectations, I think sometimes having a conversation with a person, a business, whatever it might be, even yourself reaching out today, you've, you've given up your time to reach out. And that's one of the biggest compliments, I think, as much as even engaging at a, an event or a party or whatever it might be with someone who just wants to have a conversation, it's a huge compliment. And so I take that in with every day is if someone's going to give me the time to either ask a question or I want to ask them a question, um, I'm going to do it with the best intentions at heart because I think sometimes, you know, for me, day in, day out, I look for um, growth and learning opportunities. Two to three a day I try to reflect on when it comes to the end of the day and they can be as big and as small as they need to be and there's no right or wrong. Um, it's just what I am taking away from every conversation every learning opportunity, um, every inter interaction is really special. And I think that's something that I think, in short, just come in with the best in intentions, don't have expectation, and you never know what could end up. One of the other things that came up a lot in my homework was that you're all about preparation. You're meticulous with your preparation. You're very organized. So a lot of people are curious to ask is, how do you prepare for a big pitch or a presentation like Give us the specifics. Give us one, one, two, three things that you do before preparing. And this is work specific, I'm sure, in your life with your running and and a lot of that you prepare with recovery and warm ups and stuff. But we just focus on work for a second. How do you prepare for a big client meeting? What are the two, three things you do that set you up for success or the highest chance of success from that meeting? I think you know the first one for me is you know we're talking in a work context and, and a you know a presentation no matter how big or small or presenting work or putting ourselves out there in a conversation um do your research do your research to the nth degree so you know as much about the brand the person the business in its entirety because having that information or having that knowledge prior can allow you to walk into a room with confidence the fact that you've covered every base. Doing that research, you know, for an example, um, you know, through different events and partnerships, opportunities, but even certain meetings. Um, 
and this is not a, a creepy thing or a stalking thing, I look at everyone who's on that meeting attendance hmm. and I look at what has their career path been. Hmm. I did is the same. Is there any connections? And is there any commonalities of some of their stories that have gone through? You know, that's on an individual base. But I think it comes back to that point of what you just asked before is one of the things I truly value is the one to one connections that I love to make with people. And I think if you can find common ground and build relationships in a way that is authentic um, through some of those commonalities and work on that together, that research part is critical. And it doesn't just have to be the people that are in the room. It could be a business, as I mentioned, but don't walk into a room or a meeting or a presentation without doing research um, or without just at least checking and understanding what they do. Because I think for me, that is so important, but it also comes back to the other point of 100% being present and there for the right intentions of the conversation or meeting or whatever it might be as far as an interaction goes. And I think that's where research is just so invaluable. But that comes very much back to that preparation point, as you mentioned. And the old thing that plays in my mind, excuse the sport analogy, but how you train is how you play. Mm. And, and I think there's no truer word because I've seen incredible people through sport and life and work that those that have been meticulous in preparation um, and have done their research beyond just the confines of work hours or whatever it might be, they've set themselves up for the ultimate success. And, and I've been very lucky to be surrounded by and interacted with so many successful people. And the common thread is, is they do their work and they do their research. Another fascinating part about what you're doing at the moment, particularly if we talk about Bullfrog, is you've got a team of 40, I think you mentioned earlier, and I noticed what recently you've hired a number of senior hires that on paper one could say are more experienced than you or older than you in life. And it's a topic that I hate when it's when people judge you based on age, but it's yeah. human nature. We all, we all do it. And take me inside that thought process because I think what's evident through this conversation we've had is you're a deep thinker, you probably reflect, I'm going to assume you might journal, you you run, a lot of people that run, that's their time to think. How have you gotten better at being a leader of people that are older than you? So that's a specific question there. It's not just being a leader, but being a leader of people that are older than you, because at the end of the day, you are the, the CEO in title. Yep. But these people are probably, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but maybe they're more experienced than you, or maybe they know a few more things, but at the end of the day, your, your name's on the door metaphorically. So how do you build trust with these people? Like take me inside one of these new hires. What kind of conversations do you have in the first three months of them being hired? Do you go for coffees every Friday? Do you sit in on their meetings? What does it look like? How do you build that trust so that they value your opinion? You're absolutely spot on. Um, I've been typically in the advertising industry, Bullfrog started in February 2020, just before the pandemic. And um, while I've been in the marketing and advertising space through the Tailored Man, being a digital publication, like I said at the end of the brief, but now we're very much at the start of it and building brands from the ground up and all working with brands to deliver impactful storytelling or creating an unfair share of attention. Um, but with those senior hires, you're 100% right. They have more experience than me in advertising. They have more experience than me in life. Um, but I think how I really connect with them is being truly myself and putting that on the table of the values that I hold, which obviously those values run through this business. And that's something I'm incredibly proud of um, that we workshopped as a team. But I think for me, it's really about putting it all on the table and the type of person that you're working with. Um, yes, um, 
I am still trying to grow uh, facial hair at the age <laughs> of 29. Um, but I'm working on that. Um, but I think age is no barrier. And I think that's a proof point in so many ways. But I think if you come in with the right intentions, as I mentioned before, through one-to-one connections, is this is the type of person that you're coming on board with. And I feel extremely grateful that I have world-class people working in this team that have so much more experience in the advertising industry. But I think it always comes back to this one point. Um, For me is we've connected on some of those common themes that we've spoken about today through the love of what brand and building brand can do and storytelling and great creative work and communications can impact people's lives. There's that common thread there across everyone in this team. But I think for me, it's actually just being vulnerable and honest and transparent and putting me as a person on the table the parts of the business on the table that we would love that person to impact and being really clear on expectations too from the start um, and not leaving it to guesses or assumptions or X, Y, and Z. We work really closely with every person on our team through their development plans. No matter what level of seniority, everyone has a development plan. Um, we have a, a 30, 60, 90 kickoff for every person in the business as far as what do we want them to achieve in the first three months as a, as a team and as an individual? Um, and how do they play their role in this business that lives up to the values that we put forward? But also, you know, for us is making sure that through the rigor of hiring through that process is one thing that we've definitely got better at and I've learned a lot on. But I also think now with the values work we've done internally in a short period of time with the exceptional growth, aids us in finding those people that we know can unlock world-class creativity, but also be great people at the heart of it. And I think for me, it always comes back to you are only as good as those people around you because I cannot get this business to where it is right now by myself. You mentioned earlier, Laura, maybe I mentioned Laura and that hasn't come up in the conversation yet and that was intentional because I want to keep the focus on you. Um, And I want to ask about, what Laura does or, or the weddings. I think there's enough context on that and listeners can listen to other episodes and Laura has her own podcast where she interviewed you or you interviewed her and there's a lot of context there. So I'll direct listeners to that. But if you think of the last two years, you mentioned pandemic, what have been the some of the 1% habits that you and Laura have added or removed from your life in the last two years? Ooh. I think the one that sort of comes back to um, my wife is one of the hardest working individuals I've ever seen in both her personal life and social life and what she does, she'll do, she will sacrifice her own betterment for everyone else. Um, And definitely I think um, that quality has had a huge impact on me as a person and, and how I present today as much as anything. But I think if you talk about the one percenters um, and sometimes as two individuals, two CEOs in one household um, running her business is exceptionally um, successful through hard work, uh, building a community and, you know, what she has done, I couldn't be prouder and the growth that we've had. And I think we've, I think we've been together six and a bit years now. Um, (laughs) It's, it's an absolute testament to her and her co-founder Steph and and what they've been able to build, but the people that come on their journey as well. But I think for us, two people coming back to that point that are running their own businesses and in the same household can get pretty stressful. It can get chaotic. Um, But we've really protected 
you know, there's two probably two key things. Um, we really protect our one percenter over the last two years, especially when you're at home every day uh, in the longest uh, city lockdown as well. Um, there's probably two key elements: communicating loudly, especially around work when we Do might you mean have yelling to come at home. each other. No, no, no. <laughs> I think um, I use yeah. That, it's a funny saying. I should clarify that, but um, communicating loudly to us means that we're not assuming. We're actually putting the barriers up and flagging. Like mm. it's almost like put the hand up almost and say, hey, before I get home, I need to work a little bit tonight. Or before I get home or I'm going to have a late night is just giving that, hey, oh, you're at work. When are they coming home? Is actually just communicating loudly and be like, mm. hey, I'm really caught up in a meeting. Finding that one second of time where you can just keep each other informed. Or when we get home is, hey, this has popped up. I'm just going to address this one, even though I know we're trying to switch off a little bit right now, but I have to do that for these reasons. And that sounds, some people might look at that as like, that's like, wow, like that's so much over communication, but it really helps us with the mindset of our recovery because we don't, you know, as two people running their own businesses, you, I would argue that you sort of never switch off. Um, but we find, you know, in that first piece of that communicating loudly piece is critical for our relationship, but also how we do our work and how we go into every day because we're finding those micro recovery moments together, but also acknowledging the fact that we still have things that we need to sort out and respecting each other's time because we both relax very different as people. Um, and, you know, and finding those little recovery moments throughout the day are critical, I truly believe. But for us, that communicating loudly really helps that barrier versus like, why are you on your phone? Or why are you on your laptop? Because to be honest, we could both be on that every minute of the day to all sorts of hours, which I know is very common through so many people's lives these days. And, mm. you know, our screens are everywhere. Um, it's a byproduct of the environment that we're in and the opportunities that come with some of those things and the advancements of technology is added to our lives too, no doubt. Um, and the second one percent is protecting dinner time. <laughs> dinner time is a sacred time for us in the house. It is a time where no matter how long we're eating for, and it might not be long, it could be 10 minutes, could be 15 minutes, could be half an hour, could be an hour, but we really find and protect that time, no matter what time of day it is, and actually communicating together in that moment of how's your day, what's happening. It could be work, it could be life. Like there's no topic of like you can't talk about X or anything like that. Is actually just sitting here without what we are, you know, doing every day is communicating to our team, each other, family, all the above. Is actually just stopping, being present in that moment and saying how's dinner or hey did I burn this or you know <laughs> what are those topics that we can have and, and just connect with each other because I think it's it would really be easy and don't get me wrong we don't get it perfect every day um some days we get caught on the rat wheel of life and we keep spinning and we it would, you know not bad habits but just habits of no recovering or connecting with each other can happen it does um but we do try to find that sacred moment of dinner time and, and in the smallest way it actually refreshes us and then sometimes it might be like hey i've got to jump on and do more work or hey let's let's wind down together and, and maybe you know watch a show or whatever it might be um 
you know, we don't really watch much TV as much as, you know, there's so much sometimes to unpack from the day and we sort of share those learnings and journeys together and dinner times when we do that. So those those two probably one percenters that I think is really special in my everyday, but also is something that we've, we continually work on and we will never get it perfect and there'll be times, like I said, we won't, but, um, you know, those two things of communicating loudly now that I've clarified what that is, not shouting, um, and protecting dinner time. Um, uh, two parts that you know we're a work in progress. We've got a few minutes left, so I'd love to close with a rapid fire final sprint. Is is there one investment you've made that you consider the best in your life, non financial? The best investment I made actually came out of a um, probably a key key part of my journey is I actually burnt myself out at a pretty young age. Um, you know, younger than some people might think burnout could happen. But um, I was 22, 23, playing professional sport, doing some of the things that we've spoken about today, running my own business on the side and, um, you know, studying at uni, like chucking all of that in, in the mixer. And um, I burnt myself out pretty bad and, and had, had had time off and, and equally um, had to sort of reset because I um, got it diagnosed with uh, vestibular migraines as a byproduct of that, which then catalyzed on anxiety and stress and all these things that I pretty much just pushed myself to the limit without um, really realizing it. But I think um, the lesson that, you know, the non-financial investment that I put in is is protecting the time that I need um, personally by myself um, to make sure I'm getting that recovery time in. And I think that's something I invest in every day, whether it's going for a run or even last night, for instance, I went down, there was a beautiful sunset and I just sat in the car and watched the sun go down. Um, Mm. It only took 10 minutes. Um, but creating that time and space for me just to do what I need to do and be grateful for certain pieces and moments of the day. Um, that's definitely the, the one of the best things that I've learned out of probably not the best scenario, but with that reflection has allowed me to apply that through my life. One thing you'd like to learn in the next six months? Ooh, that's, that is... Um, it might be your running speed. Maybe you want to learn how to get faster. <laughs> Um, I, I think, um, the one thing I really want to learn is, <laughs> is actually, um, putting myself in more challenging positions, mm. um, in work and life and being able to embrace more, which I think I do a lot. Um, you know, that, that saying that goes is being, <laughs> finding comfort in the uncomfort and challenge myself in different ways and i think um and that could be an experience it could be a conversation um it could be you know continually be 100 percent myself every day um but yeah i I think it's something i've been thinking about a lot is you know putting myself in some more uncomfortable situations um and just seeing what growth opportunities i can get out of that one source of information that you consume the most podcast to be honest um i think yeah and and there's so many incredible um podcasts you know even listening to some of the guests that you've had on um you know and i've been a long time uh follower of the podcast as well so i was equally um pretty stoked when you reached out but um you know listening to people's stories and taking just a few little learnings out of those not all of it because it's their story and it's very individual i think that's what makes us great we are all individuals at the end of the day um, but podcasts, I consume them a lot. I consume them while I'm working. Um, I consume it with moments of where I actually want to dedicate reflection or 
um, and not everyone will relate to me, but um, you know, I really do seek inspiration from other people's stories uh, and podcasts are an incredible way to do that. And last one, is there one fashion brand that you can't live without? Fashion brand? Oof. Or maybe fashion or maybe clothing or shoe, like I, I use um, fashion broadly. Probably Uniqlo. I did hear that on one of your other other podcast episodes you did, I and I, it's I my favorite brand before, as well. But um, I'm very much, you know, I probably have my uniform. I think um, currently, let's go figure today, um, the team have uh, called me, my fashion is like a latte. It comes with cream, <laughs> blacks, whites, um, and it's it's pretty accurate. Um, but, yeah, Uniqlo's, you know, affordable basics are, are great. And at the end of the day, coming from a fashion background, some people might think I'll have um, a different answer, but um, affordable basics is very much what started um, with my career journey and it's still something wholeheartedly I believe in now. I'm with with you on that. Uniqlo is one of my favorite brands. And maybe just on that part B to that is what's your favorite pair of running shoes? This is a personal question that I want to know is what's because I find running shoes are really tricky because the more popular the brand, the more uncomfortable the shoe. Do you Have you found the same? I think, I reckon it's like, and I'll, I won't go down the, the deep hole because I've definitely overanalyzed this through my journey, I think. Um, I think everyone's like, you know, makeup is slightly different or foot, for instance. So I think you've got to do the work and work out what works for you. Um, I think my favorite brand at the moment, and uh, I'm not getting influenced by um, one of the greatest of all time, Roger Federer, but would probably be um, on running. Mm. Um, they're doing some incredible things. And I think that's probably been part of an influence of me being on this Ironman journey as well. Um, I think they're really innovating some of the stuff that they're putting out um, and having someone like Roger paving that way for them and, and being a part of that journey too um, from an investor perspective is pretty cool. Um, but as someone that wears it now, it's a it's a great running shoe, um, but it might not work for everyone else. So mm. I'd also equally urge everyone to try and make sure you get proper advice of the running shoe you pick if you do want to pick up running. <laughs> I do see on running shoes a mm. lot nowadays and, and it's one that I've kept my eye on. That's probably going to be my next pair of shoes, even whether it's casual or running. I think it's a great pair. But that's the finish line, Dalton. I'd love to keep talking and maybe we'll do a part two in the future. But so glad to do this. Thanks for making the time and, and wish you all the best. No, thank you so much for having me on. It's been an incredible uh, conversation. I hope you took away some actual insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your life and continue to be 1% better. If you're enjoying the show, I'd love to hear from you. You can either share a rating or review on your podcast app or contact me directly via email or any of our social media pages. All links are in the show notes. Talk soon.